You're listening to the Retro Guardians. Okay, now what? Buckle up. you ever bought or rented a videotape that wasn't quite right? <laughs> Groovy. Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. Hasta la vista, baby. Retro Guardians. Hi, welcome to this week's Retro Guardians. I'm Ben. I'm Jay. And I thought this week, Jay, we'd talk about one of our early 80s favourite classics of our generation and a favourite of both of ours, The Goonies. Yeah, good old 80s classic. And to a generation of people like ourselves, it sort of was the first big kid movie of that period. I mean, there were a few smaller ones before that and in the sort of Disney movies. Mm. But this was the one, like, action-adventure kind of swashbuckler that uh, we hadn't seen before pirate movie yeah treasure movie and uh, no thrills movie yep so spielberg had just come off uh, temple of doom and this was the follow-up to that Uh, also it was made at warner brothers under his amblin entertainment banner he'd done uh, gremlins just before this now Mm -hmm. the connection between both films is that when he hired uh, chris columbus and bought his script off him for gremlins he also hired him to write two other scripts he wrote the goonies and he wrote young sherlock holmes yep both films i saw in the heyday of the 80s and both films were done effects were done by ilm industrial light and magic Uh, so the other difference in this is that he didn't direct this one this was directed by Richard Donner. Um, this was the film he did just before uh, Lethal Weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'd done Lady Hawk the year before this, or might even came out the same year. And it was also produced by Harvey Bernard, who had worked with Donner on The Omen, as well as Lady Hawk. And he also, they also worked together later on as producers on The Lost Boys. Yeah. So let's just go into a couple of things about this film. Um, I saw it in 1988. Do you know when you saw it, Joe? Oh, probably about three years ago. You've never seen it in, as a kid? Nope. Jesus, where have you been? Hiding under a rock. Yeah, no comment. Yep. No comment. Yep. But this was a film that a friend of my, uh, my mother's actually had a videotape of it. And in those days, as I told you before, you couldn't always buy everything on video. Mm. So she had a copy. I think it was an X-Rental. Every time we were around her house, we watched it. And we borrowed it frequently off her. So, let's just go into the cast a bit, shall we? I don't know any of them. Uh, you do, but you don't know them as children. No, I know them as adults. The only one I really know is um, Corey Goldman, yep. um, for obvious reasons. And um, I can't say his name, but the little little boy that was in um, Indiana Jones. Ki? Ki Hui Kwan. Who just won a Golden Globe at the um, Golden Globe Awards. Yeah. He took a break after this not that long. I think he may have done a Tales from the Crypt. That was the last thing I saw him in. Oh, okay. And then took a break. I know he worked as a translator on a lot of martial arts movies and stuff. Right. But he decided to come back and with good cause. So the other couple of actors i got to mention, obviously uh, Sean Astin. 
I think this was the first big film Sean had done. Um, also, Josh Brolin, most people now know as the, the performer and voice of Thanos for the Marvel films, also Cable and the Deadpool 2 sequel. But he had a, a similar experience. He made this, then made another follow-up film. The follow-up film wasn't great, and he quit acting for a long time. Then came back uh, 10 years later with uh, Guillermo del Toro's Mimic, and he's been working non-stop ever since. I mean, there's too mm. many movies to name. No Country for Old Men, American Gangster, just to name a couple. And um, also, as we mentioned, Corey Feldman. Corey was coming off Gremlins, once again, also working with Spielberg. And I think um, he also shot, in the meantime, Friday the 13th, Part 4, the final chapter. So while making The Goonies, they approached him to do the fifth Friday, but he was in the middle of The Goonies at the time and couldn't do it. So they did a deal with him where he could come and film a cameo. And he said at the time, in his acting career, it's the first time he didn't have a break. In Because you're supposed to have, like, a break... He worked six days at the time and then have a break. He didn't work. He, he did two weeks straight in his youth, which he said he, no one ever does in those days. And he did that to film the opening for Friday Part 5, which uh, is not one of the most beloved in that series, but, yeah, it still gets a mention because of him and his involvement just for that moment. So you had those two and key... Sean Aston. we have to uh, mention also, but I have to also mention... Um, Kerry Green. Kerry just actually had a birthday this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had done a film before this called Lucas with uh, Corey Haim and Charlie Sheen and Martha Plimpton. Now, Martha is a part of the Carradine brew. Her father is Keith Carradine. I didn't find this out till many years later. So her uncles are Rob, uh, Robert and David. So that's a very big acting community right there. There's one listed here that sort of took me by a bit of surprise. Cindy Lauper. Cindy did uh, the music, Goonies Good Enough For You. And at the time, it was a big thing because she actually had wrestlers in there. Right. Okay, that's confusing me because this website I'm looking at, it's got listed under cast. No, no, no. So it's a bit weird. No, no. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. So you had them. And then you had Jeff uh, Cohen who had done Chunk. Now, Jeff was the sort of go-to fat kid at the time for those kind of movies. I Mm. think I saw him in an appearance in Family Ties. And there was something else as well. I just can't remember off the top of my, um, my my head at the moment. And then Jeff left, became a very successful lawyer, is now a very successful Hollywood lawyer in L.A. right now. And I think he does still work with a lot of people in the industry for that reason. So you, you come off success like Spielberg was at the time, one after the other. Mm. And then Warner Brothers was very happy with the money that Gremlins had made, so they wanted something else, so he, he, he pitched... The Goonies. Now, the opening is very unusual too for a film like this. We actually yep. start in a prison, not a not a kid situation. Oh yeah. And we're introduced to the big bad of the piece, which is Jake Fatelli, played by Robert Darby. Yeah. Robert was one of those distinct guys of that period and the, into the nineties as well, and he had a very distinct voice. And I believe nowadays he's actually a croner, Jake. He sings. Okay. And he has the voice for it, so I'm not, not sort of shocked by that. Robert was in the first Die Hard, played one of the Johnsons, uh, the FBI agents. He was in Predator 2 briefly. He was in The Taking of Beverly Hills. He was in Maniac Cop 2 and 3. I mean, this guy worked pretty pretty much straight into the late 90s. I think he even did a brief show for a while with Ali Walker called Profiler. 
Um, once you hear his voice, you know straight away who he is. He's a guy that's very distinct in that. I think he was in the third Expendables. That was the one I was trying to think of, Jay. Oh, okay. He's in that. And he plays Jake. Then we're introduced very quickly to his brother, played by um, acting legend Joey Pagliani. I hope I said that right. I met Joe last year at Terrificon. He's now 70. He has done everything. This guy has been in everything, film and television, uh, distinctly films like The Fugitive, Bad Boys. He was in The Sopranos for a while. He was in Bound. He was in um, The First Matrix, uh, Daredevil. This guy is just one of those people. As soon as you see him, you know him straight. Risky Business yeah. uh, with Tom Cruise. He was in that. And he was in um, Midnight Run with De Niro. So this guy's worked a lot, and he's worked with a lot of very big people. And then you had the matriarch of the Fatelli family. Oh, yes. Anne Ramsey. Sadly, Anne, I think, died maybe two years after this, maybe. Mm. Um, I know she had health problems. uh, I think her last film was Throw Mama from the Train with Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito. Yeah, it says she died in 88. Yeah, three years after, yeah. But everyone remembers her from this movie, and I think she'd done a film just before it, one of Wes Craven's movies, Deadly Friend, which has a very memorable death for her in that movie. It's one of the only times you can honestly say a character is killed by a a basketball on screen. I first saw her in any way, in which way but loose. Oh, yeah, one of your favourites. Yeah, one of the Clint Eastwood um, Clyde movies. It was the second one, which I thought was the better one. And... She was one of those ladies, as soon as you saw her or heard her, you knew her distinctly. Yep. And then the film opens with a very memorable chase scene, which also in doing the chase, you're introduced to all the main characters of the film. The Fratellis and the kids. Yes. And it also it has the kids listed in alphabetical order, starting with Sean Astin. Yeah. So And Josh Brolin being A and B. But um, one of the other distinct things about this one was... Uh, it introduced a sort of elephant man, beast man kind of character in the Fatellis that they had sort of a deformed brother oh, yeah. called Sloth. It reminds me of um, Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, you know, sort of the that. The same sort of disfigurement. And uh, he was played by a very famous at the time uh, football gridiron player in America called uh, John, I hope I'm saying shortly after this, and John's a very distinct, very big man. And I, I believe he did die as well not that long after this movie, and I think it was from accidental drug abuse, yeah. overdose. Uh, he had uh, pain issues all his life, and I think it was something to do with gigantism or something like that. Mm. He, he was a very big guy. It was something along those lines. But I remember Donna saying they did a scene where he had to jump in water, and they said he said to him, you, we've got to put the makeup back on you now. He goes, oh, that's fine. And it was going to take five hours to do, and he did it, and he didn't even complain once. Mm. So... Yeah. Um, just to, to sound out the film, the kids are living in an area in their hometown that's been marked for demolition by a greedy um, sort of developer. Developing company, yep. yeah. And um, they uh, and they um, suddenly don't know what to do. Parents don't have enough money to save the area. They're all going to be relocated. They're all very close to each other. Yep. As Corey's character says, it's the last weekend we're ever going to spend with each other. Mm. Uh, also it doesn't help the fact that this particular developer's son is sort of like the spoiled brat of the movie who's also trying to hit on one of the main girls at that brand Josh Brolin's character has a thing for so that doesn't help things in that sense so the kids uh, after they've told 
by the developer to hand the papers over to uh, their parents, they decide to go up and check uh, uh, Mikey's and Bran's dad's attic, which is said to have a lot of leftover things from the museum that they haven't been able to put on display. And in there, they find a map. The yep. map is sort of... Uh, Treasure map. In a... In a um, in a frame, and of course, Mikey finds a very original way to get it out of the frame, thanks yeah. to Chunk. Um, there's a lot of memorable moments in this movie. There's a lot of key sort of set pieces, I think, Joe, would be the proper mm-hmm. term. Yeah. Um, it definitely reflects the 80s, not just fashion, not just music. Um, there's a sequence in it where we meet the housekeeper, that Mikey's mother, who's ha- had an accident <laughs> and can't yeah. clean, and she can only speak Spanish. That and was funny. Mouth, I love it. Corey Feldman speaks uh, Spanish to her. Now, I could yeah. never figure out why my father was laughing so hard when yeah. we were kids, and now I could read what he was saying. I thought, you cheeky little bastard. And yeah, he, trying to scare her away. Yeah, and he also he starts mentioning drugs. Drugs. Yeah, he's like, yep. cocaine in the bottom drawer, heroin yeah. in the other one, blah, blah. Always separate the drugs, you know, and all yep. this. And then when he's explaining the addict to her, he says, Mr. Thing has a lot of sexual torture devices up there. Please stay away from there. I do remember. That yes, was funny. that was all good. Now, their mother was played by Mary... Uh, Mary... Cal- uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, who was married at the time to Robert Zemeckis. Sadly, she died in two, uh, early 2000s from cancer. Right. But she was another one. She was in Lethal Weapon... All three, she was. Oh, sorry, all four. She was in Monster Squad. She was in Executive Decisions. Most of Robert's movies. She was in the first episode of Tales from the Crypt that he directed. All through the house with the killer Santa. Everyone knows this lady as soon as you see her, and she was sort of one of those distinct actresses of that period of time. Mm. So that's another one. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's any other actors in the in the in the piece that. No, there wasn't really anyone else big in that at the time, except for the ones we mentioned earlier. Um, it um, the house that they the Goonies what's called the Goonies house it went up for sale recently and it sold over a million dollars plus wow maybe two simple little house yeah two. and it, they hadn't didn't they haven't done much to it over the years it still mm. looks pretty much the same so it, it, but I got told the owners got sick of all the um, all the tourists turning up to look at the house because it's a very popular location in that area I think near it's up near Oregon it's up the top of sort of um, above California so. The movie starts, we get the, 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 the piece of showing all the characters. We then cut to the house, starts with Mikey and Bran. Then it cuts to the developer with all the kids turning up at the same time, including Data having a very memorable entrance with Bond music playing, which I thought you'd like. Bond fan. Also, Chunks. Gadget fan. Yeah, Chunks Truffle Shuffle. It's still very memorable to this day. I don't think you'd be allowed to do that now because people would call it fat shaming. Yes. But at the time, we found it funny, but he did get a laugh or two back at, at Mouth and that for all that. Even the, the name itself, Chuck. Yeah. You know, like, uh, Chunk. Chunk. Like, that's quite that shaming isn't it? Yes, you couldn't do that now. Yeah. So the kids then find a clue that leads them to the first place they can look for the beginning of their way to finding the treasure. And it just happens to be an old lighthouse with a museum, um, a restaurant on the side of it that happens to be the hideout of the Fatellis. Mm. They go in there trying to get in there and Mikey inadvertently hears and, and witnesses Sloth. They're then kicked out and also after uh, disposing and putting out of commission briefly, Bran, Bran catches up to them, which is very yep. memorable. But they then are caught up with both um, the girls who we met earlier mm. and 
Andy and Steph. And Steph's dry sense of humour really stands out to me even to this day. There's a memorable scene when they all go to get in the basement and they hear sloth burp or scrunch. And Steph goes, Chunk, I hope that wasn't your stomach. Once again, fat shaming that we know we couldn't get away with now. Mm. And once again, they find the entrance to tunnels thanks to uh, Chunk's inadvertently reacting to one of Mouth's comments again. And they're able, thanks to him breaking the water cooler, find that there's actually a tunnel hidden underneath the fireplace. And then the Fratellis turn up to get them. Now, what they've discovered, there's actually a freezer there that with a dead body in it of an FBI <laughs> agent, and Chunk finds it and reacts very memorable. When they put the body back in the fr- in the to cool room, sorry, they um, inadvertently lock Chunk in there with him, and then the others get into the tunnels, but Chunk doesn't, and then Chunk they tell Chunk to go for the police. Chunk doesn't get far because he runs into the Fatellis and they bring him back. And there's a very, very scary moment as a kid, a scene involving a blender and a hand. Mm. Now, same thing again. I don't think you could get away with this now. No way. I think there'd be a lot of trouble and there'd be a lot of issues with that now. Yeah. And like I said. And at this stage, the actual treasure, were they, did they know that it was the pirate ship, the famous one-eyed willy? Or did they just know it was treasure? They weren't sure what it was. No, um, there's a memorable scene where, where when they find the map, um, Mikey starts saying one-eyed willy and also mentions his dad told him all about it. And then Rand goes, Dad will do it, say anything to get you to go to sleep. Mm. Then he goes into the whole thing. And supposedly... They were caught in a in some area and they were sealed off. Some kind of bay. bay. It's never explained exactly until we see it. Yeah. And then they're sealed off and can't get out. And then they start digging tunnels and that's that's the legend. And somehow the legend got out and that's the, the debate they have in the movie. Mm. Also in that scene, Chunk bumps a... It's a newspaper clipping also frame. Yeah. And there's this famous, uh, you know treasure hunter called mm-hmm. Chester Copperpot who claims he's found the key to One-Eyed Willie and he went missing something like 30-plus years earlier, maybe more. Yeah. So there's still people out there that believe this treasure is real and exists. Now, when Chunk's caught by the Fatellis, he tells them that, but they won't believe him. And mm-hmm. he tries to you know, say, no, no, it's really real. And there's a very memorable scene where Joe P says... Kid, I want you to spell your guts. I want you to tell us everything. And he goes, everything? Everything. Well, Chunk starts telling you every bad thing he's ever done wrong in his life. Mm-hmm. And it's, okay, I'll talk. In the third grade, I did this. In the fourth grade, oh, I yeah. did yeah, He just starts crying. And they're looking at each other going, what's this? And then they cuss to another scene after the kids have gotten in the tunnels. that You just see the Fatellis rubbing their head going, what have we done? Why have we got this kid to talk? And finally, he brings up a very memorable vomiting story, and then they finally wow. have enough and try to put his hand into the um, blender. Now, yeah. at this point in the tunnels, the kids have found a series of booby traps. They have found what's left of Chester Copper Pie, mm. and they inadvertently open a cave that's full of bats. Well, the bats only have one way to get out, don't they? Yeah. They come through the fireplace, and that's when they discover that a Chunk is telling the truth, and they believe there's a tunnel and the kids are down there. 
They lock Chunk up with Sloth, which we finally get to see him from the front. We actually see how deformed he is. Mm. And then the Fatalis proceed to go into the tunnel and chase the kids. Now, there's very... The one great thing about this was there was a lot of, like, problem-solving, Jay. I remember that you had to use your wits to figure out a couple of the clues, which was great. Yeah. I think if that was now, there'd be a lot more of that. A bit more like uh, Uncharted kind of kind of traps and stuff but at the time i mean it worked i mean you, you absolutely believe the situation you believe the kids are in peril um there are scenes they're really close to the stunts i mean mm. they were I, I did hear donna say they were very careful about that but they wanted to see the kids near it so you'd believe it so there's a lot of uh, sort of memorable scenes with that and at some point the um sloth is able to get loose and he actually frees chunk and then they go after them as well. So you've got three lots of groups in the tunnels chasing each people. Yes. And it then accumulates with a very memorable ending on the actual One-Eyed Willie pirate ship where they actually witness the, and find the treasure and then the Fatellis have caught up to them and then Chunk and Sloth catch up to them and, and Sloth recreates a famous scene from an Errol Flynn movie called Captain Blood where he, using a knife, comes down the sail and saves the kids. So how did the Fratellis actually know the treasure was there? That They were looking for it, weren't no, they? No, they no? weren't. Only after the kids Yeah. So they had this sort them. of medallion thing that yeah. Mikey's able to use that lines up everything. That's we, just... He had that with the map. Yeah. yeah. But Chunk has that. So when yeah. they're interrogating Chunk, ah, that's right. it drops. Yeah. And that's when they start going, hang on, there must what be are something. These kids to... Up to? It's a doubloon. This is worth something. Doubloon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they they follow them to the one eye willy and they want their... Cut. Fair share of the treasure. Yeah. yeah. But Mikey tells them not to touch One-Eyed Willie's direct oh, yeah. piece, which is sort of like a scale system. Yep. The Fatellis touch booby it. Booby traps. Yes. Yeah. And it Lots of them. activates the ultimate booby trap yep. that inadvertently um, starts to destroy the area and, and also... Wrecks the ship. Yeah, but also the kids have found a way out, but it's been, um, it's been um, a cave-in. Now, mm. earlier in the movie, when they find Chester Copperpot... The boys find a heap of candles in his back sack and Data puts them in his, but in the, the, the big bunch of them, we see one single one that says dynamite. They put it in the, um, the backpack. What's well, the last one that's in his backpack? When they light it, Data goes, hey, this is a funny candle. It's sparkling. <laughs> and Brandon's oh. like, that's not a candle. That's dynamite. Kids. They throw it into the, the tunnel. It blows it, but it widens it, but then it blows another piece on top. Well, yeah. Sloth's able to push it up enough that they're able to... Use his back and push it in, and they climb underneath his legs to get out. And then he goes back to save his family, who mm. had treated him badly all his life. And then the kids are able to get out, but unfortunately, the Fatellis made them all give up their loot. So when they get out and they're founded and they're on the news and everything, they pretty much haven't grabbed enough a loot to save their homes. Well, there are the cleaner. Um, Senorita, whatever her name is, she starts going through, Mikey's wet and they covered him in a blanket and he took his coat off. She pulls out his marble bag and she looks inside it and she starts singing and they realise Mikey had actually filled it full of jewels and that's what they were able to use yeah. to save their homeland. And as yeah. everyone's coming on, there's a sheriff that turns up who had dealings with Chunk and didn't believe him when he rang him up telling him he knew where the Fatellis were. You hear him go, Holy Mary, Mother of God, and they turn around and you see One-Eyed Willie's boat come out of the bay and start to sail out to sea. <laughs> and that's a very memorable scene for kids. Mm. Then it begins, the once again, the Cindy Lauper music video. Yeah. So 
The soundtrack, I want to talk about that. And I think I know why Cindy was on the cast list at that website. Apparently there was a cameo that um, had her performing the song on the TV. TV, yeah, and it's Brand yeah. doing the workout, yeah. yes. And, and anyway, so we've got Cindy Lauper, we've got Ario Speedwagon, the Bengals. Yeah, Bengals, I remember. Yeah, so yeah. some pretty big names doing music. And it, um, it's, it says here that um, the, the Fratelli Chase, the main theme yes. to the song. Yeah, that's yeah. a very memorable it's, Correct. And it's been used in a lot of other movie Chase. trailers. Yeah, they use it yeah. for chases. And um, in a space, yep. Scrooge, Guarding Tess. And it was recorded um, with the London Symphony Orchestra. So, yeah, like that'd be, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I don't think it was Johnny Williams. I think it was uh, a different guy that... Um, yeah, Dave Grusin. Thank you, yeah. Uh, John, I think it was just too busy at the time working on all the yeah. other projects that he couldn't do it. I do know that several of Spielberg's other collaborators were involved, including the ILM crew. But Michael Kahn, who had edited a lot of Stevens' films, he edited this film. I do know that for a fact. Mm. Um, it did do well financially. I, 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 it was made for just under $20 million at the time. And it um, it made over 125 million worldwide. Now, there's one thing that's up for debate, Jade. I will go into this. There's a scene when they're being interviewed by the the news reporter at the end, mm. and Data mentions an octopus. Yeah. Now we never see this octopus because it's a cut scene. Right. Unfortunately, watching the cut scene, I, I realised very quickly why it was cut. Why? It looks very cheesy and very kind of Ed Wood, Roger Corman cheesy. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh. So yeah. it sort of now sounds like they're just Data telling a bit of BS when he when he's been interviewed and it actually just adds to it. That, you know, the kids are sort of, um, you yeah. know, letting on to People be, don't know if they're telling a furphy or... Or, or embellishing yeah. The, yeah. the tale or not. Yeah. Which That's a pretty crazy story to yeah. start with. Yes, it is. But also there's a... Um, it's one of those films that sort of gets introduced to different kids of different generations ever since, yeah. whether it's through uh, siblings, cousins, uh, parents, but yeah. it's always sort of introduced at different points for people. Mm. Now, Key recently, as I said, just won the, a Golden Globe and they asked him, would there be a sequel? And he said, show me a decent script and I'll think about it. But I've heard over the years they've been wanting a sequel for yeah. years, but never elaborated. And sadly, Richard Donner only just passed away a few years ago. Yeah. And he'd been trying as well, but they could never get a script to work. And like we were talking about earlier, most of this cast is now in the early 50s. Yeah. I don't know how you could do that now. And once again, it'd probably have to be a nostalgia piece with their children. And I, I don't think people want that as well. But it's still in the works and it's probably going to happen. It's been green lit, hasn't yeah. it? No. Oh, it hasn't. Not 100%. Not 100%. Oh, okay. okay. It was, I, I saw it on Facebook and it looked like it was almost going to happen. But, um, I mean, never say never right now, correct? Right. Well, I don't know. I I don't know how you can That's what I've continue. been thinking as well. So IMDB has it listed but, saying 2027 yeah. 20, release. Yeah, but no. I don't know. Jay, um, I really don't know. Mm. It's got some of the same names in it, but yeah, I, I, I do know. That's why it's still... Rumour. Yeah, very mm. much so. So what would you give this out of 10, Jay? Uh, I liked it. I'd probably give it a 7, 7.5. I'd give it an 8. Yeah. Um, that was one of the first big Richard Donner films that I was introduced to. I'd seen Superman and Lady Hawk just before this, and The Toy. Mm. But that, at the same period of time, I saw Lethal Weapon. He was involved in The Lost Boys. And, yeah, I really got learned to appreciate that man and his work. 
Yeah. And he was a real actor's director. That's one thing I always hear about Donald. When everyone's re, uh, referencing him, is he was a good actor's director. He really embellished actors a lot. And a lot of people, actors liked him for that. Mm. Um, he also later worked on Maverick, also with um, uh, Mel Gibson again. And I believe Corey Feldman had a cameo on that as well. So he did like to work with the same actors as much as he could. So, I mean, I, I don't know about many of the other kids he worked with later again, but a lot of them, yeah, always said good things about him. And like I said, it's one of those titles, you say it out loud, everyone knows what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, except for me, I never watched it as a kid. Which I deser you deserve a slap in the head for that. Maybe. But anyway, that's a different story. Yep. All right. Thanks for uh, coming along for the journey today on The Goonies. Yes, and uh, once again, if you like what you're hearing, please tune in to our and like our uh, page and Facebook pages. Retro uh, Guardians Podcast on uh, Facebook. Any recommendations, anything you want to hear us talk about, I'm on Jay, very here, happy to mm. hear you, and we're actually happy to have any recommendations. So, on behalf of Retro Guardians, thank you very much, and have a nice day. Goodbye. Retro Guardians.